Beginner Astronomy Books with our listener guest, Jim, on episode 311 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky, and this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. Just uh, welcome you to the show, Jim, and then we'll uh, get on to a uh, piece of house business first. Hi, well, uh, my name is Jim McKenzie. I've been listening to the podcast for... I don't know, a couple of years, I guess. And uh, despite Chris's protestations, I started at the beginning and and really it's been quite interesting seeing how the podcast has evolved. But uh, just as we were getting ready to get started, I, I was talking to Shane and Chris about how I, I like that it's just a couple of guys talking about astronomy. I think that's the greatest thing about this podcast. It's why I found it so compelling. So it's really quite fun to actually be on it now. Good. Well, welcome to the show, Jim. Uh, first up though, Shane, we have a patreon supporter to thank as well yeah uh big thanks to rob our newest patreon supporter appreciate uh appreciate that support and appreciate everybody else who's a patreon supporter i think we're over 60 ish now and uh you know really uh you know it, it just it's nice to know that um you know some people support us that way and and want to see the show keep going so we really like it yeah, we certainly appreciate it very much. It allows us to do a variety of things like upgrade our equipment, plan some different types of shows. And one of the things we're able to do is actually receive donations, other donations from listeners like Jim here, who uh, donated a, a book to us called Deep Sky Wonders by Sue French back in the fall. And then uh, shipping's pretty expensive. So through the Patreon donations, we're able to run a little campaign and ship that out to one of the winners. So thanks so much for that, Jim, when you made that donation. Appreciate it. Oh, it was no problem. I I, I discovered I bought two copies of it. So <laughs> that's probably something quite a few people listening can relate to. Be careful about what you buy. Yeah. And if you do end up with two books, we're happy to uh, receive them and give them away somehow. That's great. Good stuff. I'm glad you could put it to use. <laughs> Yeah. I hear it went to a good home, somebody who enjoys beer in London, Ontario. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. We were excited about that. And then uh, you're also uh, getting quite a few astronomy books in. But just uh, before we get to that, maybe we can talk a little bit about your astronomy journey so far. And maybe you can tell us uh, how long you've been uh, interested in astronomy. I think you kind of uh, were interested and then it had a bit of a hiatus and, and came back to it. Maybe you can tell us about that. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know I don't know how much you want to get into it, but the concise version of it is, when I was a kid, which was you know some time ago, I'm sad to report, I I always thought that the skies were quite interesting, and a friend of mine in high school uh, discovered a, an old telescope in one of the storage rooms at our high school and managed to get permission from the science teacher to borrow it, and I remember seeing Saturn for the first time. It was a you know 1950s three inch 75 ish millimeter refractor that was not in the best of shape that had been a bit abused in a gorgeous wooden case and you know that the reality is you don't need a lot to see the rings of Saturn and this did the job just fine and I remember as a you know teenager aspiring to build my own six inch reflector which never happened but back then buying a telescope was a significant financial investment and I guess, you know, I, I casually observed, I remember in the 90s, making sure I saw comets Hale-Bopp and Hyakutake and certainly saw the odd thing here and there, but never really got any equipment. And, and then one day I happened to be in Toronto and had some spare time and 
realized I was near a telescope store. It's no longer in business, but thought I'd pop in. And the next thing you know, I bought myself a 10-inch Dobsonian. And I'm not as religious about using it as you two are about using your equipment, but I have gotten it out quite a few times and used it. And the last few years, I really hadn't. And uh, listening to this podcast, I, I can't even remember how I discovered it. I think I might have read about it in Skywatch magazine a few months ago. And listening to you two really got me quite interested. And of course, Chris, you talk about the classes that you run here in Regina sometimes. And I decided I would enroll for them and take them and thinking that that might inspire me. And the next thing you know, I'm bringing my telescope to class and showing people around and here's Alberio and, you know, here's Jupiter and, and having a lot of fun with it. So, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be getting up in the middle of the night to do observing too often, but I'm really thinking I need to get this telescope to a, a dark sky like the grasslands one of these days and really put it through its paces. Well, it's great, Jim, that you, you, you've you kind of reignited the passion. Um, what's the focal length of your 10-inch? Oh, I, you know, I was going to look that up before I came onto the podcast. It's one of those Skywatcher trust oh, yeah. tube ones that collapses. So I think it's F4.9 or 5.1. Yeah. I can't remember the yeah. focal length, but I'm sure you know the telescope well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm quite familiar with those. Um, I don't know if I've ever looked through the 10-inch version, but uh, I've definitely looked through an 8-inch um, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great telescope. I love the design, uh, that, that, uh, Skywatcher came up with there. That system, I think just lends to, you know, greater stability and less need to recollimate through the night. It's, it's surprisingly easy to collimate. And I'm, uh, I just listened to a bunch of your podcasts. I tend to get behind and catch up a bit. And I was on the highway yesterday and I was listening to episodes 300 and 301. And I remember, somebody at that little party you arranged with the club in Ontario saying that he threw his 12 inch Skywatcher trust tube daub in the back of his Honda Civic. And that made me laugh because I throw my 10 inch into the back of my Honda Accord. So <laughs> I can relate with that very well, but I, I, Chris knows this. I've been talking about getting a three or probably a four inch, um, uh, refractor of some sort, probably an acromat, but maybe if I can make the money work, I'll get an apple, um, apocromat and, uh, I need something that's a little bit less space consuming because unfortunately this 10 inch daub as great as it is for localish observing and I could probably get it to the grasslands if it were just me but when the two of us head on a significant trip there's just not room in the car for a gigantic telescope so I need something a little bit more modest and frankly I think a refractor would serve me a bit better for planetary astronomy anyway so I guess here I go down the rabbit hole thanks guys <laughs> you're, you're not the only one Jim we've had a few people uh, you know state that we should probably put a warning on some of our episodes or some fine print about you know the impacts it could have to people's bank accounts <laughs> <laughs> can we put a picture on the podcast page about what an astronomer with no money looks like <laughs> i don't know exactly. what that would look like <laughs> like, like, like every the pictures astronomer. on the cigarette packages yeah <laughs> just like any astronomer <laughs> exactly you know it's funny you know i've said to so many people this is such an interesting hobby in so many ways and uh, we were talking a little bit, Shane and I have gotten into ham radio, although not to a huge degree, but the two hobbies share a lot in common. And one of the things that I really like about both of them 
there's so many directions you can go. You can get into astrophotography. You can get into, you know, just casual observing comets, deep sky objects, planetary astronomy. Um, there's just so many different directions that you can go. And I think that's one of the things that I find the most compelling about the astronomy hobby. And, and to that end, I mean, you literally need to spend no money at all. You can get a significant amount of pleasure if you can get to a darkish sky and just observing the sky with your own eyes uh, and a pair of binoculars. You know, most people have a pair of those sitting around and you can do a lot with those. You know, I think it's tempting to get yourself a gigantic telescope. And to be sure, if you actually are serious enough about astronomy, having a good telescope is well worth the, the investment. But it's just not necessary to have a lot of fun in this hobby to have that. You can do it on the cheap and do it well. Yeah, well stated, Jim. Uh, you know, that's something that we try to talk about pretty regularly on the podcast. You know, while Chris and I have a lot of gear, a lot of different telescopes, some of our fun or some of the most memorable nights, at least for me, uh, at Grasslands are nights when we haven't even looked through the telescope. There's been some nights we just look through binoculars or just our own, you know, naked eye observing. And uh, there's just so much you can do like you say, with very modest equipment or no equipment. And the, the hobby is just so scalable to whatever you really get interested in. Absolutely. I mean, I know a lot of the listeners may not have even ever seen the Milky Way. And I remember being out at a farm a few years ago, and I'd seen the Milky Way before, but I don't know that I'd ever really thought about it. But that night, and in this location, I could literally see the Milky Way from horizon to horizon. And you know, I could have gotten, you know, one of those uh, lounge chairs and laid back there with a blanket and a beverage and just looked at that sky for hours if I'd had the opportunity. It was just beautiful. Yeah, for sure. It, uh, it never gets old for me. <laughs> No, it does not. That's for sure. And then when you get a telescope or a pair of binoculars and start exploring, even just wandering around without a specific goal in mind, it's just amazing. So yes, thank you for reigniting my passion for this hobby. I really appreciate that. Even if it's going to cost me some money, it'll be worth it. <laughs> yeah. So today's episode really is about talking about uh, some astronomy books. And Jim, I think you've read some recently and uh, just curious what those were and you know, what your thoughts are on them. Well, I've got a big pile of books and, and time allowing, perhaps we can talk about some of the others. Um, but I, I've picked a couple of books that I think are of particular interest to the newer astronomers, since that's the theme that we're talking about today. Um, the first book is a book that if you're lucky enough to take Chris's class here in Regina in person, and I guess on Zoom sometimes too, um, he constantly, well, not constantly, but often recommends a book by Terence Dickinson, who sadly just passed a few weeks ago. Uh, and the book is called Night Watch. And I just want to affirm my um, support of this book. I think for somebody that, um, you know, a lot of the people that come to that class are like, I love the sky and I don't know where to start. Uh, and if somebody is listening to this podcast and feels a bit lost about what they want to do with that interest and if they want to get any equipment or how they would use it, I think Nightwatch is a really great place to start. One of the things I really like is one of the first chapters, um, Terence talks about the universe in steps, as he calls it, and it's scaling the universe. And, and one thing that always blew my mind is the whole perspective of things you know the earth feels like a big place and you know it took me you know two hours to drive to montana yesterday which feels far um, but then when you look at the size of the whole planet 
compared to the solar system, you know, the planet is big, but then the solar system is so massive. We haven't even completely gotten spacecraft completely out of the solar system yet, despite how long we've been doing all of this science. And then when you think about the scale of the solar system within the galaxy and the scale of the galaxy within clusters of galaxies, it's it's kind of mind-blowing. And, and he does a really good job of explaining that. And then he starts to get into really simple things like how the sky works, how the constellation patterns move across the sky over the night and from season to season, which of course, if you don't know where things are and when you might see things, that can be very confusing. So I think that is very helpful. He's got some simple sky charts um, that are done by season and time. He talks about equipment where you want to get started. And, and as you two do, affirms the choice of binoculars as being a really good starting point because of course so many of us have them and and you don't need a very expensive pair because even a, a very lightweight and old pair will magnify the sky and and let you see dimmer objects quite a lot better and, and so even that will really open up a person's horizons he talks about deep sky objects and has really good charts. And I love these. There's red print with really interesting information about them. But if you're outside with a red flashlight, so as not to spoil your night vision, all of that fluff information you don't need in the field is probably invisible. I think that's just awesome. Like how well planned, Terrence, how well planned. Um, planets, how to find them. Uh, my edition is a couple of editions old. So the information in mine about where the planets are is just obsolete. But of course, that's all available online. But if you buy a current edition, right in the book, it'll tell you for the next few years where to find the planets. And I hear there's a really good calendar that Chris helps to edit that'll tell you where planets are too. So that's not so bad to be getting information about anyway. Um, talks about the moon and the sun, eclipses, comets, meteors, aurora borealis or australis if you're in the southern hemisphere. He talks a bit about photography, which we don't talk about a lot on this podcast, but a lot of people are going to be interested in that. And really, you should go wherever this hobby carries you. And then there's a whole bunch of resources in the back about how to learn more. So I, I don't know that he goes very deeply into any of it, but he goes just the right amount to wet your whistle, so to speak. And it, it lies flat. It's, it's coil bound. And so it's designed. You can take it out in the field with your red flashlight and use it. Um, if this book doesn't get you interested in astronomy, then this hobby is not for you. <laughs> yeah, well said, Jim. You know, it's a book that we talk about an awful lot and recommend. And I think one of the things we've maybe overlooked in our talking or discussing it is the fact that it is coil bound and any, you know, any astronomical reference that you use at the telescope, it is really nice if it is coil bound so that you can basically fold the book in half and just make it a lot easier to hold and manage at the eyepiece. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, Chris has mentioned this a couple of times in class, so I'll steal this from Chris. He's mentioned how Terrence is a Canadian photographer, not photographer, astronomer. Um, and uh, for we in Canada and the very northern U.S., that's really great because it's really designed for people in our latitude area. Um, and, and it's really great to think that Canada had this great astronomer who is such a famous part about advocating for the hobby for people. And we're, we really hit above our weight in astronomy, I think. So it's a really great book. You could be at these latitudes anywhere in the world and the book is handy. And in fact, he's actually got a chapter on the Southern Hemisphere too. So even listeners in the Southern Hemisphere would get some utility out of it. But even if the sky charts aren't completely useful, all of the technical information, which is at a very approachable level, I think anybody could 
Yeah, Jim, you've gone on mute there somehow. Yeah, I, I something happened with the connection again. I don't know what's going on. How much yeah. of that did you lose? Uh, all of it. <laughs> Just <laughs> about. Not too much, about about uh, thirty seconds there. Yeah. But, oh, I'm uh, sorry about that. Yeah, well, don't don't worry because it's it's everybody. Like I'm I'm hearing different things. Shane's hearing different things. You're experiencing different things. Like it's uh, I think it's just uh, bad internet this morning. I guess it's uh, something definitely is up because it it's all of us. It's not just you. So let's not worry about that. Yeah, that's uh, maybe I'll I'll just introduce and kind of get the flow going here again. It's all good. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more, Jim. I, I think that Nightwatch is just an excellent resource. My favorite parts on this that um, we we often have trouble discerning which are the constellations that we're seeing. And especially when we're getting going in, in astronomy and where we're just starting out, I know when I had my first star charts, which were by Terrence Dickinson, they were just cut out from a newspaper and my mother would, uh, would leave them sort of at my place, Matt, on the uh, Saturday morning. I tried to take those out and look at the stars, but there, there is a bit of a challenge there transitioning from just a piece of paper with dots and lines to what the stars actually look like in the nighttime sky. And what Terrence Dickinson did that I'd never seen done as well, at least, is he plotted out on one side of a page or like two-sided, or there's two sides in a book. There's two page sides in a book. And on the left side, he puts um, a representation of what the night sky looks like, sort of in a drawing format in like a beautiful black sketch with white and somewhat colorful stars. And then on the right side, he puts your star chart. So it gives you the ability to sit in the comfort of your home and kind of recognize what the stars look like as an accurate representation of the nighttime sky. And then on the other page, he has a representation of a star chart. And to me, that teaches somebody not only how to recognize the basic stars in the sky, but it also is a learning tool for people to learn how to use star charts. And I think it's quite well done. That's my favorite part of the book. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, different people learn in different ways, but I find I learn the patterns of the constellations, the major stars, and that helps me recognize where in the sky that I am. And I'm sure probably people at the level of you two, you just know where you are by looking anywhere in the sky, just by virtue of your experience and the frequency that you're observing. But I think early on, it's not such a bad idea to know those patterns and and know how to sort of draw them in your mind and then recognize them in the sky. And, and, and one thing of course, that makes the sky confusing to newbies is, you know, the sky is moving seasonally and hour to hour over the night and, and, and constellations that are circling the pole are, you know, at any different orientation around 360 degrees, just depending on exactly when you look at them. So you kind of have to learn not just to recognize the patterns, but to be able to rotate them in your mind. And, and, and that comes with time. I mean, Cassiopeia, Orion, you know, I, I can see those, the Big Dipper. I mean, I know that's not a constellation technically, but you learn to recognize those anytime just because you see them so often. So yeah, I love that. It's so much harder to recognize the constellations without those lines. It's such a good thing that we're so near those dark skies where those lines are visible, as you guys have said, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it is one of those things that I think um, is challenging with astronomy. That is that 
the stars do change position, even over the course of an hour, uh, the stars move an appreciable amount through the night mm-hmm. sky and in constant rotation around Polaris so that, yeah, if somebody goes out on the evening in March, they're going to see stars just after sunset. Uh, for the most part, especially towards the southern horizon, those same stars are not going to be visible at midnight or 3 a.m., um, the stars are going to rise and, and set and the closer they are to the south, the quicker they're going to rise and the quicker they're going to set. So it is constantly changing. And then throughout the year as well, stars are going to change. So it takes, it takes a number of years. And I, I always find that people who are really trying to do this and really trying to learn it, they go out and they look at the stars and, and then, you know, they might get a cloudy spell for three or four weeks and then they come back and, uh, and they're observing at a slightly different time and it's a completely new sky and they come back and they complain and they say, oh, I was just learning those stars and now they're gone. I have to learn a whole new set of stars now. Yeah, how dare they move? <laughs> <laughs> One, another book that you, Chris, have brought up in your class, I'm, I'm sure it's been brought up on the podcast too, is that H.A. Ray book, The Stars. And, and so I bought a copy of that as well. And I won't get into it in great detail today, but it, it's another good book. He, he he does patterns that are not necessarily the standard lines between the stars, but they're so much easier to recognize. And so again, just to learn how to work one's way around the the sky. I think this book is really good. I I even love that there's a few constellations. You know, he basically says, don't worry about them. Like uh, Scutum, the shield. He says, modern constellation, it's small and dull. (laughs) Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. So the the book uh, Jim's speaking about is called H.A. Ray's uh, Stars, A New Way to See Them. And H.A. Ray might be an author who's known to lots of people. Um, I think he lived in Vermont or he, he wrote the book in Vermont or something like that, not far from where I grew up. And then as well, what he did is he tied in a lot of different patterns in that that made the constellations a little bit more recognizable for some people. Everybody learns different, like you were saying, Jim, but uh, those stars that he drew the connections in a little bit more fanciful, like I think, and uh, some people really enjoy that. I certainly have a copy and have recommended it to people as well. I think it's a it's a great book for just getting out on the stars and then and making some of those connections and then maybe seeing the star patterns a, a little bit different. It all just sort of accumulates and and helps you to learn the stars and the constellations a, a little bit better just by seeing them in a different way. Absolutely. And and the better that you know the constellations, the easier it is to know where in the sky you're looking and the easier it is to start to find objects and you start to recognize the patterns, then star hopping in a telescope or a pair of binoculars becomes easy. Uh, it, it, it just, it, the, the level of enjoyment just increases exponentially as your comfort in the sky goes up. Yeah. I like the way this is going. We started with Nightwatch, which I think is is the most solid recommendation for for a book um, just because it covers the whole broad spectrum of getting started in amateur astronomy, including how to get out under the stars and provide you with some of the uh, basic star charts and and tools that you should get in order to do that. And then by talking about H.A. Ray, we kind of step it back. We talk about, you know, the H.A. Ray book is 
a real beginner's book. It's a book where maybe if you're reading Night Watch and you're going out and you're struggling to see those star patterns or to sort things out, just take that step back, get the H.A. Ray book, take that out for a few nights with your red flashlight. You need to have a red flashlight to preserve your night vision. And once you make those connections between the stars and the and the patterns that are up there, go back to Night Watch. Once you get those patterns down and maybe you're using your binoculars a little bit, perhaps uh, that would be a good place for the next book, Jim. <laughs> would that be Turn Left at Orion? Yeah. Sounds good. Well, we're on the same page. What are the odds of that? <laughs> it's almost like we planned it, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, oh, great. Here. <laughs> you know, when we started out, actual astronomy i should say this i don't know if we ever shared this shame but remember we did have people that uh, were like conspiracy theorists and they were like finally someone who's gonna pull the curtain back on astronomy <laughs> yeah yeah strange <laughs> all right go ahead jim Turn well you did pull the curtain back it's a fun hobby <laughs> don't think we're about it too hard we're very disappointed well, I'm enjoying the podcast quite a lot. So um, I love this book. So it's called Turn Left at Orion, and it's by uh, Brother Guy Consalmagno and Dan M. Davis. Uh, I've got the fifth edition, which I think is the most recent. And again, it's a, a lay flat coil bound book. So we've got the same advantage as we do with, with the Terrence Dickinson book. I would say this is a notch more complex, maybe a notch and a half more complex than Nightwatch. Uh, I don't think it's unapproachable at all because he really starts at the beginning and he actually talks about how somebody once showed him Alberio, which is a star in Cygnus, uh, famous because it's a it's a double star with, where the two stars are very different in color and it's very obvious to anyone who can separate them that the colors are different which makes it quite a beautiful object and very simple to find and and that sort of wet his whistle about how to get farther in astronomy and 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 so uh, the author's done a really great job with this book again you know teaching about how magnitudes work uh, magnitudes are so confusing because of course bright objects are negative magnitude and dim objects are positive which is very counterintuitive and if you take chris's fantastic course you'll learn all about that but he, he he's got it all in the book here he talks about how to use a telescope like i love that it's not just what kind you should get but how the heck do you use one which if you've never had one before and you don't have the good fortune of going out observing with somebody who actually knows how to use one is actually something good to know so you're using it correctly and you understand how eyepieces work and you understand how the mounts work um, one of the best things in this book is he's got pages and pages and pages of lunar observing hints uh, like by you know a couple three days apart in the lunar cycle the terminator the line between the, the the light side and the dark side of the moon is of course moving across the moon and and so he's showing how it's progressing from new moon and what objects are near the terminator are lit in that beautiful edge on light I, I do a lot of photography and we talk about the golden hour when shadows are long and the light is warm the light being warm isn't really an issue on the moon but those shadows sure are and when the sun is low which is that area near the terminator um it just becomes 
so much more three-dimensional looking and and i you know i haven't actually gotten too busy observing the moon yet and reading this makes me think oh my gosh i need to there's just so much there and i know people that are serious about deep sky observing complain about how the moon gets in the way of a dark sky and of course it does it's so bright but the moon is a worthy object of observing all on its own. And then it goes on and on about planetary observing. And then there's just dozens and dozens of pages of different areas of the deep sky that you can observe uh, with close-up um, drawings of how it looks in different types of telescopes. Um, the orientation, of course, changes depending on whether you've got a refractor or uh, certain types of reflectors. And so he shows you what the sky looks like, where the stars are, um, how to reckon yourself in that field of view to the object that you're looking for gives you an idea of what sort of sky conditions you need, what types of telescope are most likely to be the most successful. I mean, it's great. You can know nothing and you can go, I really want to observe some deep sky objects and you can go in this book and it'll tell you, okay, it's this time of year at this time. These are objects that would be a good set of objects for you to consider looking at tonight and here's how to find them and and you can actually go out and have a decent chance of finding them with this book it's and it's really enjoying enjoyable just to sit down and read it too but this is a takeout in the field and use it book for sure nice. um have you had a chance to read that uh, turn left of orion machine many many years ago uh like in a much earlier edition it's a it's a fantastic read i really enjoyed it I uh, had a copy from Cambridge University Press. I was at a book show in Toronto back when we used to live in Ontario, and they uh, had a copy there. And at, at book shows, they often give away free books. And I really, they only had one copy of this book. And I was like, I just want that book. I didn't have a copy of it. And I just kept going back saying, can I have that book? They're like, we're not giving that book away today, sir, you know, kind of thing. And so I just hung around to the end of the book fair until they were taken on the display. I'm like, I really want that book. Are you sure you don't, you sure you want to haul that back wherever you guys brought it from? They're like, fine, just take the book then. So I got the book. <laughs> Persistence pays off. Yeah, I did give it away though. I, I got the book. I used it for a number of years. I read it. I, I agree. I think it's a great book. And then I uh, gave it away to somebody in my class who was teaching scouts. I think they borrowed it, but I think it's a permanent loan now because it's been like seven years. So <laughs> it's all good. That's a good text. Um, perhaps we should mention Brian brother Guy Khan's Consul Mangno. I boy, I have trouble saying that. But <laughs> Consul Mangno is how I'm saying it, but I don't know that I'm right. So <laughs> okay, yeah, guy, he he has a connection to Regina. Did you guys know this? I did not know that. No, I did not. Tell me more. Yeah, to the Campion College there at the University of Regina. He um would some he not since the pandemic has he, but even uh, I think in 2018 or 2019, he had come and given a presentation there. I've been to two or three of his presentations before. Now, typically, he's talking about sort of a, a theological interpretation of the universe, and it's sort of uh, tied in more with metaphysics than in actually looking at the nighttime sky, to me, which I felt a little bit unfortunate about. But um it, it is interesting to go and hear him speak. He's he's a very interesting person and an, an amazing speaker, very excellent speaker. And if you want to hear more on him, you can look up the Vatican Observatory podcast with uh, brother guy, Consel Mango. I'm, I, don't, I don't know. I'm never going to say it right, but 
Maybe we can get him on the show. He can correct me. And maybe at that point he can talk more about uh, actually observing the nighttime sky, but it's a good book. I think with that book, Turn Left at Orion though, Jim, I think they do a lot of the sketch. They do a lot of sketching and drawing in that book as well on what things would look like uh, in the nighttime sky through small telescopes. And I think that's a big benefit to people getting going as well. Absolutely. And, and and just in case people might be put off by the fact that this guy is, a, you know, a, the official astronomer of the Vatican or whatever his title is, he's got an amazing title. I'd love to get his business card. Um, this book is entirely secular. He certainly mentions his career in the introduction, uh, but the content is all observational astronomy. So uh, if you you don't have to love religion at all, to enjoy this book. He's just in a really interesting position where he thinks about all the theological implications of astronomy, but he is a very hardcore visual astronomer. You can certainly tell from the book. Yeah, I know it's, uh, it's, it's an excellent book for people who I think who are just looking to make those first steps in actually hunting things down in the nighttime sky. And like you said, he doesn't really dive into any of the theological stuff in that book, at least not to my recollection. Uh, he has a variety of other books and and his podcast, I think, where he gets into some of that stuff. But, you know, very interesting person with a different perspective, right? We all have our own perspective on the nighttime sky, and it's uh, interesting to hear other people and uh, where they're coming from in all this. I certainly would have loved to visit the Vatican Observatory when I was there, but uh, I, I didn't receive an invitation when I was in Italy for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but you did see Galileo's telescope, so it wasn't a complete waste of time. Telescope, scopes, many telescopes. So <laughs> let's see, anything else further on Turn Left at Orion before we maybe venture into some some other books and texts? No, I, I mean, there's more to the book than I've said, uh, and, and and he certainly does do some teaching about how the sky changes from season to season, but I, I, I just love that it's it gives you a real sense of when the best times of the year are to, or, or time of night to be viewing certain objects and how to find them and how difficult it's going to be. And if you'd rather have a, a, a reflector or a refractor telescope or if binoculars will do, it, it's just great. You know, I, I, once you get to a certain level as you and, and Shane are, I think you you're well aware of what's possible and what's practical and what objects are sensible to go after but i think that can be really intimidating to the newcomer and i think this is a hobby you know i i'm i'm really good at overthinking stuff and astronomy is a hobby that really invites overthinking um this book really makes it straightforward i think if you just get out there and do it and don't think too hard about it find objects that are practical for your conditions and time of year and time of night and the equipment that you might have and you just start enjoying it the rest will take care of itself yeah well said jim i uh, i completely agree Anyway, highly recommended. Worth. I don't know what I paid for it, but I, I don't care. <laughs> it was worth it. Yeah, these, these books aren't expensive. Um, HA Rays, I think you can get for like $10 American. Night Watch is uh, going to be around $25 American, $35 Canadian, and uh, widely available used. I recommend getting a used copy. And then the only thing that the used copy won't have is the updated Stars and Planets. But uh, if you want to know Stars and Planets, you can... I always pick up a copy of the RASC Observer's Calendar and turn left at Orion. Great place to get started. What would be next? Uh, maybe we'll just hop to Shane. Shane, do you have any recommendations for uh, another favorite book or or anything like that that uh, might might be a good next step for people who are getting going? 
Um, one of my favorites, this is getting into more of like a, you know, an observing guide, uh, but it's the observing handbook and catalog of deep sky objects. Um, this is another one that I don't believe it's in print anymore. Um, but the used, the used prices are, are quite reasonable. In fact, I'm just looking at one right now. That's, uh, I think $13, um, but it's, it's a wonderful book for getting into deep sky objects. And what I really like about it is they give descriptions of every object, but they often reference the aperture that they were observing it with. And the, the notes are all based on visual observations and, uh, it just aligns on, uh, you know, an awful lot with how I like to observe. And because they give you the aperture, uh, it gives you sort of some context as to what to expect when you are looking at some of these objects. So that one is uh, is one that is never too far from my fingertips. This would be the uh, Brian Skiff and Longenbule book. I forget the yes. Longenbule first name. Yeah, so sometimes referred to as Longenbule and Skiff's uh, book. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good book. Um, if I was going to recommend another book to you, Jim... I think the next book that you should read is actually three books. Okay. I, I don't know if you have if you have this on your shelf yet, which is the uh, Burnham Celestial Handbook, which is a three volume set. I'm not sure if you've gone there. No, yet. no, that takes going to take some shelf space, though. It's worth it, it is it? it? It will, but I, you know, I have a copy that I won't lend you, not because I don't <laughs> think I'll. It's just that it's it's. Um, well, it's not here at present. It's it's at my dark sky site, but I also think that this is one that you would uh, get a lot of interest in and read from. For example, it's by uh, Robert Burnham Jr. The book is very out of date, so that's the big caveat here. You've got the up to date information ish from Nightwatch and and how to get going and looking at the stuff with Turn Left at Orion, how to find the star patterns with H. A. Ray. But then with the Burnham Celestial Handbook, you really get kind of the aesthetic, the meat of the nighttime sky and what it's like to go out, out under the nighttime sky and really start making some of those connections. And uh, it it's a mix of sort of poetry and history and philosophy and the nighttime sky. And it's, it's just uh, so beautifully written and well done. And of course, with amateur astronomy, like we do, you don't necessarily need the most up-to-date information. If you know, now we know that the Andromeda galaxy is, I think it's either 2.35 million light years away or 2.41 or something like that. Well, back then, I think they just put 2.5 or something to that effect. And, and to us, you know, it's nice to know those it's fun, uh, but at the same time, the visual observation of it through the telescope is the same now as, as it was back in the, uh, in the seventies. So I would definitely recommend maybe taking a look, see if you can find a good, uh, used copy. And I think as well, Shane, didn't you get a copy in Kindle or something like that of that text? Yeah, I have both editions. I have the physical three volume set, and then I have a, a, a soft copy that's on my Kindle and I quite enjoy it on the Kindle. Uh, cause when we go to grasslands, I have all three editions with me and, and they're quite thick, you know, they're not super portable for those types of trips. Um, so it's nice to have it in, in such a, you know, portable, um, uh, uh, format. And, um, I, I use it quite a bit when I'm down there. I'm trying to see how much the Kindle edition is, but, uh, I can't locate it, but I'm seeing lots of 
paperback editions for 16 or 20 bucks Canadian, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, um, and then, yeah, I think that uh, that's a good recommendation. Uh, back to Jim. Jim, what else do you have in your bookshelf there that might be of interest to people who are in your uh, more earlier stages of their astronomy journey? I just wanted to add one quick comment. It was a Kindle solution. It's pretty viable. If you get one of those paper white Kindles, turn off the backlighting. You can read that with a red flashlight. So that's one of the oh. few times when an electronic solution is not going to ruin your eyesight. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And, and just maybe quickly while we're on the topic of Kindles, um, I also have the Pocket Sky Atlas on my Kindle and I do not recommend that on Kindle. It's far better on paper. It uh, it just doesn't translate very well over to the digital format. Yeah. The Kindle's display isn't all that big unless you, I, I think there was one version of the Kindle that had a big display, but even that I wouldn't think would be as good as a nice big book that you could flip through. Yeah. But as far as other books, I, I, this I know Chris doesn't love this book quite as much as I do, and so we'll have a spirited debate, I'm sure. But um, I really like Dickinson and Dyer's Backyard Astronomer's Guide. Um, I've heard some criticisms that it's a bit hardware heavy, and, and that certainly is not incorrect to view it that way. On the plus side, I think if you're starting to get more serious about astronomy and trying to learn about uh, different eyepiece options and filters and so on i think starting to learn about that hardware starts to become a good thing and and he talks about um finder scopes and and red dot finders and telrads and things like that and uh, you know one of the best things i ever did for my skywatcher dog was to put a telrad on it uh, i love the the finder scope on it but it's just so much easier to use the Telrad to get in the ballpark of something and then use the finder scope to get a bit closer. And, and so I sort of do a three-step process to find an object. And he's, he talks about those in here and, and gives it a little bit more information about making your way around the sky and, and getting into some of the topics that we learned about in in Nightwatch, but in a bit more detail. I, I, I don't know that it's quite as readable a book. It's a bit more of a textbooky sort of book, and it isn't lay flat, so it's certainly not a book you'd take out in the field with you. But for a, a cold winter's night or a cloudy night, I think it's a really good reference material. Thoughts on the Backyard Astronomer's Guide, Shane? I love it too. And, and just for the reasons that Jim said it, it certainly is gear heavy, but that was one of the, that might've been the first astronomy book that I bought. And it really helped demystify the world of gear because there's so many different eyepieces and, you know, learning what, what eye relief is and fields of view, and then learning about focal lengths of telescopes and EQ mounts versus AZ mounts and all of this you know, complexity that is in the hobby, I feel like that book does a really great job to break it down and help, uh, help you understand what is out there. And then, you know, you can take that information and make some informed decisions about what will fit your approach to astronomy. So I, I think it's a great book. Uh, there's probably four or five editions out there now and each edition, because it is fairly gear focused, um, has a, you know, all of the latest, greatest type of, you know, gear in there. So, um, it, it is one that you probably want a more current edition if you're buying one, but, uh, I'm sure even the older ones would, would serve somebody well. Yeah. It's uh, it's a good book for gear 
centered research for sure. It helps to straighten out a lot of the challenges and issues people might face with uh, sorting out the gear for the first time. And then as well, it has a variety of information there about the background on astronomy, going to star parties, information on astrophotography, and that kind of information. The sort of the shortcoming of of that sort of, I guess, gear-centered focus is that the gear changes pretty quick these days, and it always has changed fairly quickly, but now finding gear information is is probably a little bit better suited to the uh, forums like Cloudy Nights, for example, or or other places where you can find out the latest and greatest gear that's coming out or read sort of the long-term reviews of a, of a variety of uh, observers. And I think that can be pretty helpful as well. The, the other downside of that book is that it's very expensive and it's huge. It's a very large and expensive book. So you kind of have to sit down and put it down on a table and then, and then read it. It's, it's kind of not uh light fair, uh, unfortunately, but the, the other thing I suppose is, Again, it can place an unnecessary focus on the uh, on the equipment versus just on the experience of of the night sky. I wish when I was going to go and somebody bought me, and maybe this is just the reason why I have this perspective. Somebody bought me a copy of the Backyard Astronomer's Guide to get going because that title has sort of a better chapter or better title than Night Watch, for example, if you're looking to get started in backyard astronomy. However, I think Night Watch is a better backyard astronomer's guide, in essence, because it actually has enough about equipment to get you going. And I think it distills, I think Night Watch really distills down the the best nuggets of information about equipment and how to use it uh, from the backyard astronomer's guide, and then provides you with the tools and techniques you need, you need to use to get out under the nighttime sky. But I think if you are equipment focused, like like many folks are, I think having both sets of of books. But if I was going to recommend one, I'd say get the night watch, and then once you're uh, a little bit further down the path of astronomy, maybe pick up the uh, backyard astronomer's guide. So that that's just my opinion, though. I wonder if different public libraries across our listeners' areas might have the Backyard Astronomer's Guide, because I think that may be a good book to go check out from your library and read it through once, and then you would be able to decide if it needed to be in your library. I think everybody will get some good content out of it, but it may be a sort of book that if you read it once and put it away, you might be you might be fine. I think that's that's probably probably pretty good. I think it's one of those books you could almost take out for for a couple of weeks, spend a, a few weekends with it even, and just take some notes on like like Shane was saying on that critical information on the focal length, how to use a finder scope, some of that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, I think you'd be able to to get the the additional meat out of that book pretty easily. And I guess the other thing is, is for the, for the price of that book, which I don't know what it costs, but you can usually get uh, two or three pretty good other uh, observing books like night watch. You could buy a night, night watch, HA rays and turn left at Orion. You could buy all those three books for the cost of one uh, backyard astronomer's guide. So <laughs> that that's kind of the trade-off you're getting. So I think buying those three books first and then taking this one out of the library, that's a perfect, I think that's a perfect solution. Where are we going to go next? 
Where do well, we want to talk about next? I, I have a good a good next direction since we just discussed how useful the Dickinson book is for hardware. Maybe this is a good time to bring up Sue Sue French's book, Deep Sky Wonders, because it's the other direction. It barely touches hardware at all. It's all about deep sky objects. Yes, go for it. And and so this is a book I, I bought twice, so it must be really good. <laughs> I didn't know I was subsidizing the podcast when I bought it at the time, but I'm glad it got to a good home. Thank this you for book, that. Well, you're very welcome. I, I love that. That's how I actually got involved in the classes because I sent you an email and off we went and I came to the classes and now I use my telescope again. So really, it was productive to buy a second copy as I as I reflect on it now. But this book is great because it talks about all sorts of different areas of the sky, different constellations and different times of year. Like that's probably the best thing. It's sorted by time of year uh, with, you know, evening and, you know, early to late evening observing in mind and of course you can skew it for later in the night if you like um but it, but it tells you different objects that are visible and and which ones are going to be easier targets which ones are going to be tougher it's got tons and tons of gorgeous color photos which i'm i i like reading text about things but there's nothing like photos to really just give you a sense of what's possible with some of these objects of course the photos can see darker and more colorful things than we can with our eye but I think it does a fair job of giving you a sense of what to expect if you were to try to observe some of these objects. And, and this book is a classic. It's been well regarded for a long time. Again, I, I don't remember what I paid for it, but it wasn't a ridiculous amount. I think it says on the back of mine that the price is $30 in Canada and the U.S. So this is one of those times when Sky and Telescope has decided to subsidize We Poor Canadians. So thank you, Sue French. Uh, I, this is a really good book. And this is one I wouldn't sign out. This is one I would buy and 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 did twice. Yeah, we've had a number of listeners uh, buy Sue French's uh, Deep Sky Wonders as well. I I think the strength of this book is it's like a really extreme version of Turn Left at Orion. Maybe it's a good way to put it where she guides you through a variety of tours of the nighttime sky and you can actually see how to sort of deconstruct and run an observing session in a very technical way. It, it's sort of like the technical version, maybe, of the Backyard Astronomer's Guide, where you have all these constellations broken down into little sections, and she just walks you through all the star clusters, nebulae, galaxies, and what you can see through uh, small to medium-sized backyard telescopes. It's, uh, it's a great backyard uh, guide to learning how to run your own observing sessions and and she has a little bit on equipment there, like what filter she's using and some of the techniques that she's using as well. And she does a lot of sketching too. So those are those are included in the text as well. And you talk about it's technical, but it's not excessively technical. Like I don't think that's anybody right. that's interested in deep sky objects should get worried about that. It's technical enough, um, but it's not on the overwhelming side. It's very approachable. If I compare a book with it, would be to get another book of the same title, which is Deep Sky Wonders by Walter Scott Houston. And Walter, Walter Scott Houston wrote for Sky and Telescope magazine from, I think, like the 40s or 50s until uh, his passing in the early 90s. And he did this column called Deep Sky Wonders, which is uh, the column that Sue French took over um, on. And he basically creates a narrative of the amateur astronomy experience 
during all those decades. Talks about the introduction of uh, different devices and techniques and includes a lot of amateur astronomy observations inside that text. The text is actually put together by Stephen James Amira, who has a lot of uh, astronomy text. So I think uh, both Sue French's Deep Sky Wonders as well as Walter Scott Houston's Deep Sky Wonders make a make a great pairing. There's no charts really to speak of in Walter Scott Houston's book. It's just a narrative. So it's a book that you can sort of read before you go to bed at night. It's not a book you're going to have at the telescope really, uh, but it does have a lot of interesting targets in there and, and a very narrative uh, storytelling style on how the astronomical experience in the amateur community has uh, has come about during the uh, latter half of the 20th century, 21st century. All right, let's see. Shane, any other books that you might recommend before we start to conclude this episode? Uh, no, I don't think I'll add anything to the list. This has been a really good discussion. We've covered a, a whole bunch of different titles. And, you know, I think anybody would be well served with these in their library. All right. Any other books or advice that you might want to pass along to people, Jim, before we conclude? Well, one other book I'll just throw in and maybe maybe we want to talk about it or you two want to talk about it on the podcast at some point is Stephen James O'Meara's book, The Messier Objects. I've got the second edition um, and it's by Cambridge Press, their Deep Sky Companion series. And I'd actually like to get some of the other books in the series. Um, this is not a bad book for planning visual observing, but uh, one thing I really like about it is it sort of talks about the history of Messier's object list, and I really enjoyed reading that. So it's almost like there's parts of it that are like a story about how it all came together, and of course there's a couple of Messier objects where there were errors made and nobody's quite sure exactly what object Messier meant, and the author actually makes a good stab at trying to figure out what object it might be and and why he thinks he's right and, and letting you decide for yourself. So it's a really good reference book. I would think if a person were sort of trying to observe all the Messier objects in their astronomy career, it would probably be a good book to help sort of prioritize them. But it's also just a good book to sit down and read on a cold winter's night. And we're in a part of the world where the cold winter's nights aren't quite over yet. So I would definitely recommend that one as well. And really quick, maybe before we go, I'll read this email really quick from listener Jim C. Not the Jim we're speaking to today, but Jim C. writes, Hi, Chris and Shane. Thanks for the podcast on the Northern Stars with Dave Chapman. He did another great job. And thanks, Chris, for your mention of the role of Henrietta Leavitt and her work discovering the period luminosity relationship for vari- for Cepheid variables. That reminded me of this book from a couple of years ago that documents the work of the women computers who contributed so much to our understanding of cosmology. And that book is called The Glass Universe by Deva Sobel. And he says, please pass along my thanks to Dave for his interesting and engaging presentation. And also find attached an image of M51 taken with eight hours exposure through my eight inch Mead ACF Schmidt-Cassegrain telescope. I await the podcast that delves into the most interesting galaxy, which is M51. Thanks again for your good work at a time when clouds and winter weather have made observing and imaging quite difficult. Thanks so much for that, Jim C. And thanks so much, Jim M, for joining us today. Really appreciate you coming <laughs> on and talking about some books. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Anything to add, Shane, before we wrap? Yeah, just thanks, Jim. Really appreciated the conversation. Uh, this was awesome. 
Yeah, it was, and Shane and I figured out that we knew each other from before, so I didn't even know that. So <laughs> it's it's fun. there's so many weird little connections in the world. It's fun. It's fun to discover them. So Absolutely. so nice to see you again, Shane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, likewise. Good stuff. Well, thanks you both, and thanks everybody for listening. If you want to support the show, there are two main ways to do this. We are on Patreon for financial support, and we also appreciate your support by sharing our podcast within your own astronomical within your own astronomical community. We always enjoy your observations, questions, and sketches, images, whatever you wish to send us. Please email us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.